Hello and welcome to the Rodeo Labs podcast. My name is Logan Jones Wilkins and I am your host today. As you know, in 2023, the Rodeo Labs podcast has been taking on a little bit of a different mold. We still are having our conversations that meander about topics that we cover at the lab and different interesting folks around the rodeo universe, but we also have one eye on more journalistic storytellings around our part of the cycling culture, and that most specifically is gravel and adventure cycling. Looking at the gravel and adventure scene, we have seen gravel racing grow in the last 10-15 years from a fledgling pioneering sport into a juggernaut of mass participation that it is today. With this growth, it seems like the perfect time to do a little bit of a deep dive into the races themselves and the people who are in charge of that culture, most specifically the race directors. In this upcoming mini-series, I have searched far and wide for a large collection of race directors from small, medium, and large races to talk about the spirit of gravel and the state of the discipline in the ways in which it relates to their day-to-day work as race directors. Through these conversations, I've learned a lot about the sport and I've learned a lot about what it takes to promote races and what the intention is behind some of the largest and most exciting events in the country. This conversation, this episode, is with Jason from Gravel Worlds with a little bit of help from a special guest, my father, Andy Jones Wilkins. Andy is an experienced ultra runner, and he was able to go with me to Gravel Worlds this past summer to look at the race and to have an experience at a unique event that really gave me the idea to have this series in the first place. So it felt like the perfect place to start this podcast series with episode one, the introduction into our little journey down the rabbit hole of the spirit of gravel. Thank you for listening. This is the Rodeo Labs podcast. Well, starting the podcast and the guest is already mad at me. Why are you mad at me? Well, you forgot your coffee grinder at your brother's house. So we had to stop at this stinking gas station in the middle of Colorado nowhere to get one. But we got some coffee now and we're on the road. We got some coffee. My guest today is uh, Andy Jones-Wilkins. He is a world-renowned ultra-marathon runner. He's also my dad. He's also driving to Pennsylvania with me to pick up his car that broke down. Uh, a little while ago before they moved to Phoenix. Logan, you know. it's great to be here. Let's uh, let's start this adventure. We're starting the adventure. Well, we started the adventure. This is day two, technically, of the adventure. We camped up at Kenosha Pass, north, or which way? West of Colorado, of Denver. And now we are going to head to Nebraska for Gravel Worlds. Are you excited? Oh, man, I'm fired up. It's going to be great. Gravel Worlds is a race I've been trying to do for many years. Um, for various reasons, I haven't done it, whether that's the pandemic or just school demands. So now I'm trying to squeeze it in, and 
it's good to have my dad along. And I'm loving it. It's, they've got a good old school vibe at Gravel Worlds. And uh, Lincoln, Nebraska, I think, is going to pull out all the stops for it. So let's do it. And we're off. Aaron's have been run in Denver, the last outpost of the West. And where are we headed? We are about an hour and a half from the Nebraska border. Then we're going to fly across Nebraska and camp for the night just west of Lincoln and start gearing up for Saturday. But uh, we've got beautiful weather for traveling, and uh, I think we're good to go, Logan. I think this is more dialed than you've been for a race maybe uh, ever. It's amazing what happens when I don't do everything on my own because I tend <laughs> to be optimistic with planning sometimes. And you have a creative view of time. I have a very creative view of time. It's fluid. So, um, yeah, this is going to be... I'm excited. Um, and we're going to sort of, over the next bit of the drive, walk through part of what has brought us here and part of what our expectations are for the weekend. As a rider and Andy, as... What are we going to call you this weekend? Well, I'm uh, just uh, sort of along for the ride. An informed spectator. I'm I think along is what for the say. ride. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to spending a little time with Bobby from Mid-South, uh, working at an aid station on Saturday. I'm looking forward to seeing the pirate guys at work, the, the promoters of this particular race, Gravel Worlds. Um, I think it's, uh, I, I don't know, I think it's going to be neat. And since we have a couple of days, we're also going to, you know, just enjoy the process as well as the as the product. So I think we're up for I think we're up for some fun. One thing you're not going to do is crew me. You're not my crew. This is something that I'm excited about is that there is no crewing. In fact, there's not even any spectating allowed at this race. Uh, they encourage anybody, friends and family of riders, to uh, to volunteer uh, at an aid station, and that's what I'm going to do. And so I'll see you once. I won't do anything special other than maybe give you a pancake but that's it uh and i think that's a really neat thing this these guys are all about you're doing it on your own and uh and i think that's going to be good for you yeah. i think it's going to be good for the race i'm going to try to get get a get a hold of one of the directors there's about three different directors who handle the different parts of this race and kind of get into why they chose to make it self-supported but I, it's something i'm really excited about too loading up the fanny pack making sure we have all of what we need at the start of the race, I think is something that is, for lack of a better word, in the, the spirit of gravel. I mean, Gravel Worlds, we are the OG Gravel Worlds based in Lincoln, Nebraska. Uh, so we were started in 2010. We actually were called the Good Life Gravel Adventure two years before that. So we've been around since 2008. Um, founded by Corey Godfrey. He's in the Gravel Cycling Hall of Fame. So we've been around in gravel since the beginning days. Like Corey was at the very first Trans-Iowa and Unbound and all those OG events. So we've been around for a long time. Um, and it's kind of been a, a slow growth for our event. You know, we've never grown to 5,000 people, but, you know, we're every year we grow a little bit and a little bit. But we kind of uh, are you know, kind of, we focus on the gravel family as we call it. So we're, we really focus on first to last place at our event. We love celebrating the the peak of human performance of, you know, giving out a world championship Jersey to those that have come to our event and 
some of the some of the people that have won of our, our event have become you know some of the greatest in our sport so we we love celebrating that but we also love being there for the everyday person uh who probably never would want to or never would have the ability to be on top of a podium um we celebrate them just as much so i mean that's kind of the ethos of our event uh we try to keep a lot of our uh, rules and things like that as close to original as we can. Obviously, some things we can't keep completely original um, as the event has gotten bigger, but you know, our event is still fully self-supported. So once an athlete leaves the start line, whether you are the best of the best or you're an average person, you get the same exact experience as everybody else. So um, everybody gets the same checkpoints. Everybody gets the same uh, resources on course. Everybody gets the same neutral mechanical support at the checkpoints, and yeah, no no team vehicles, no outside support out out on course or anything like that. So um, ultimately, we want to keep the feeling of our event like it was when gravel was 2010. Again, as much as we can, the event's gotten bigger, so some things change. But yeah, it's kind of when gravel started. It was you put this hard course together, and you go out. You all start at the same time, and you wait for everybody and meet up at the end for beers and you talk about your experience at the end of the race. So a lot has changed, but a lot of things haven't. Well, Andy, I know you wanted to start the big Lebowski, but we got to talk about bike racing first. Yeah. We're on the eve of the big day and uh, it was a good day today. You got a couple hours out on the course. What was it like out there? It was like surfing. <laughs> Like surfing on water? Like surfing on water. It was just flowing up and down, waves, rollers that were like waves, and then all of a sudden you just kind of shift on top of the dirt. It was crazy. It was actually not like any gravel. So what's the shifting on the dirt? What do you think it's going to mean tomorrow for the race? Like, is it is it going to be dynamic, or is it going to be a stabilizer? Like, what's, what is this surfing gravel of Nebraska going to do to the race? That's a good question. Um, short answer, I don't know, but I have a couple theories. First off, I think it's going to mean aero bars are pretty much useless. I think already to begin with on this course, there's limited use for it because you're either going uphill or downhill. Um, but even on the shallow downs, aero bars, if you're in them, you could all of a sudden be taken away into a pile of gravel and lose control and crash. So I think people will be using aero bars a lot less. It's also going to make wide roads ride narrow because there's really two or three tracks that you can use on all of these roads so it's going to be a question of single file double file um and splits could happen pretty easily so what are these piles of gravel like it's kind of like um like a like a line like a ridge of just of just pea-sized gravel that runs along the whole road in different sections. Some are in the middle, some are on the sides. And it all just comes from the fact that these cars are pushing them out of the way and there's no water to sort of anchor them in. It seems like the, the area has been really dry and that's affecting the way the roads go. I, this is all what I saw. So I rode the first 12 miles and the last 15 miles of the course. So, Right, so, so it, it would seem like if you wanted to try to pass somebody, if you're in one of these single or double file things and you were not happy with the pace and you wanted to push things along, you'd have to take a risk of going into one of these, what you call piles of gravel. You might be able to get through them, 
But it might come with a risk. It's definitely going to come with a risk. And it's just going to mean that you're on the wheel you start with in a lot of these sections, especially when it comes to climbing, because you're not going to want to make that jump over on a climb because that's going to kill momentum. Right. You might just use a lot of energy digging through those piles of gravel. Yeah. Just a little move would, would cost you a lot. Yeah. So so we saw the start of the 300-mile race this evening. They started at 5 p.m. Uh, there were lots of energy at the starting line, lots of excitement. I mean, it was kind of the gravel family, as the promoter calls it here at um, Gravel Worlds at, at its best. I mean, what did you think of that whole scene at the start of the of the three hundred mile race? It was it was pretty cool. Wasn't it, it was great, and I think this race, more than any other race, has made the, this two day feel like a two day event. Even though I'm going to be racing basically just tomorrow morning into the early afternoon, but um, everybody was there. Um, you had everybody gathering together. Some people picking up their numbers and probably were just like, oh, what's going on over here? Oh, there's a start to a race. And then other people, like me, were like, I got to go because I want to see my buddy on the start line to wave him on to see a familiar face before he does 300 miles of riding, mostly in the dark. So um, it's, it's my favorite part of these, these weekends. Um, and we, we touched base with a lot of our friends um, who we haven't seen for a while. That's kind of the, the classic MO of these sort of expo days. Um, I told you before, I was like, we should go, because if I go in, I'm going to be talking for 45 minutes. And you were like, no, go in. I'll, I'll grab a beer. So I went in, and w- what did I do? You spent 45 minutes, and I grabbed a beer. Yes, yeah, so I was you know, the other, the other cool thing about this is that there was an ultramarathon here there was. this morning. There was a 50K race. There, was, there were, you know, 80 or 90 people in it. They ran a lot of the same gravel roads that you're going to ride tomorrow. Um, Casey Lichtai won the women's race. She's a former Western States champion. She won Western States in 2015. And and as I was sitting there, you, you saw like ultra runners kind of mingling with gravel racers. And there's even people doing what they're calling the gravel double or the double double where they're, they ran the 50K today and they're going to ride one of the distances Tomorrow seems to be a cool sort of component, along with the 300-mile race, of, of bringing in a little bit of a multi-sport component to to this weekend. Absolutely. It feels like this is the capacity that gravel has that hasn't been tapped. Because, of course, with this being such the rage, it's like every bit of this entity is trying to be extracted by companies. And it seems like there's there's been oversight that a lot of these races haven't really tried to bring a running component into it. Um, but Mid-South and Gravel Worlds really have. And seeing the back of the Packers today was awesome. There are people who are really doing something new, trying something different, um, who might be here just because their partner or someone they know is, is racing the, the bike race. And it could be opening up a whole new world. And to have someone like Casey come, who nobody here knows how good of a runner she is, but I do, and obviously you do, so having someone like that is just going to broaden the scope even a little more. Obviously, this is a start, so we, we can't extrapolate too much from it. But um, it seems like it's a positive entity of this race. And one of the interesting things about it, it, it reminds me of you know, ultra running. We've, we've, the ultra running sport, trail running especially, has grown from horse riding. Like, and, and so in the early years, you had a lot of horseback riding volunteers who would come and support running races. 
What we saw today is bike racing people supporting runners. And I was talking to one volunteer who was out at like the 15 mile mark of the run, of the run who'd only been at bike races. And they were like, holy crap, these people are insane. Like they're running these gravel roads through this heat, through these cornfields and all this stuff. Like, and they were just hammering. Like it's, it's interesting the way what these guys have done here at Gravel Worlds and what is happening in Mid-South is they're, they're, they're really, it's the hybridization of endurance sports and spending time outside. And, and it's really kind of inspiring to everybody, even if they're not doing any of the events, they're, they're hanging out or they're supporting or they're here with their kids. And, and I think that's really cool. And, and so, I mean, I'm really looking forward to tomorrow. Obviously the big event is the 150 mile race. But you've got 300 milers out there. You've got these people doing the double. You've got the shorter distances. And you've got this big celebration in this great venue, by the way. These guys have a fantastic venue. It's sort of, for those of you who haven't been here, it's kind of a it's kind of a suburban feel. But they've got a brewery and a restaurant and, and a, an expo, you know, full-blown expo, which is a hybrid expo in itself. You've got running shoe companies and wheel companies and nutrition companies. And, I mean, it's fantastic. And, I mean, if you haven't been here before, you should come because it's a great way to spend a, a late August weekend here in the middle of the country. Exactly. It's, and it flows into so many different things. But um, it's kind of serendipitous that you came to this event and it has such a connection to what you do. Um, but I don't think everyone really knows your background. Obviously, I know your background. I've been dragged to all of your ultras, and that's part of what has informed my gravel racing. And I think we can talk a little more about that after the race. But before the race, talk about how you've gotten to immerse yourself in the endurance community of ultra running and how that has sort of been parlayed onto your experience as a spectator, as a supporter in gravel racing. Well, I... That's a th thank you for asking that. I mean, I, I I only discovered endurance sports through your mom, my wife Shelley. We've been married 31 years, and she was a, a swimmer in college, and um, she liked to ride her bike in the summertime. And we did a couple of bike tours across the United States. And in 1994, we quit our jobs and spent two years riding our bikes around the world. And when we came back from doing that, I was like, well, this I got in really good shape riding my bike around the world. I want to do something to stay in shape. And I started running ultra marathons. We moved to Arizona. I discovered the trails. I, I realized I was pretty good at it, especially the longer the races were. There was like a group of kindred spirits out there in the desert, these kind of crusty old desert dogs. And they taught me the way of the trail. And, and one thing led to another. And you know, I ran Western, my first Western States in 2001. Logan, you were two years old at the time, and you came to a bunch of my races. But, you know, to fast forward, I've run 10 Western States, 3,700-mile races, Hard Rock, Leadville, Vermont, uh, Grand Teton, a bunch. But it's just part of my, like, DNA. I just found that endurance sports are something that I feel strongly about. And then you came along, and... You, as much as I tried to make you into a runner, I don't know whether it was rebellion or you realized biking was more fun or whatever, but, um, but you found yourself in, in cycling. And I've really embraced it. I, I, I will say I had trouble 
with the road scene that you were in for a long time and yeah, you and were, I still you weren't allowed to go to, come to my race. Yeah, I was not. I, I was <laughs> not allowed to come to that. I, I thought. I mean, on, on the one hand, I was scared out of my mind that you were going to crash. On the other side of the coin, I was pissed off that you were being told by somebody in some car what to do. And now we've come to gravel, where the worlds have seemed to you know mesh together, and the beauty of the world that I grew up in in ultra running, and the world that you grew up in cycling are kind of the lanes are converging and yeah. um i don't see it at every race i i had I, there were a couple of things about unbound out in kansas that i thought eh, that doesn't seem too cool um but like what the guys are doing at uh, mid-south and the guys are doing the folks are doing at uh, rule of three and certainly what i've seen of this event this weekend here at gravel worlds you know if there was a place for um for the, the worlds and the, this notion of we're part of a greater community, we're part of something larger than ourselves, which is what brought me to trail ultra running in the first place. I think you're seeing it right here this weekend. Mm -hmm. And that's pretty cool. Yeah. It's interesting for me too, because I was brought into the world of endurance through being a supporter for you to the point where for the last two Western States, I paced you for the final 10 months. So in a way, that was my start in my endurance career was the tail end of your peak endurance career. And now we're kind of coming full circle. You just got a flannel. Um, and I'm sort of introducing you to your next chapter as your your body has deteriorated a little bit and you've moved well, on I'm, to your post-crime. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah, you did. You paced me uh, in my last two Western states and... It was it was a meaningful experience, I think, for both of us, and and for sure when we were at when we were at um, at Unbound, and I saw like especially the middle and the back of the pack, and and I know your connection with Rodeo Labs and what a special company they are. I thought, huh, you know, I I think this, and I got to know Stephen and the rest of the crew there. I thought, you know, I, I knew. I knew as hard as I went for all those years running ultra marathons that eventually like the clock was going to run out but I would need something and if you go back to 92 93 94 that something was cycling so here we are 30 years later I am on the cusp of having a brand new bike I don't even know how to work it <laughs> I, I, apparently, it's I'm gonna it's gonna be so much better than my 1992 Bianchi Volpe. I I highly I agree with that. Uh, I got a sneak peek at it earlier this week. I mean, I can't wait to get on that bike, and and I do think that you know I, I can cycle and run a little bit into my 70s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and and I and you see that out here uh, at weekends like this. So yeah, it's a little bit of coming full circle, but it's also like maybe the circle's still circling too. Yeah, maybe it's continuing <laughs> in a spiral. Maybe it just spiraling. Right, yeah. Well, um, we have a movie to watch. Well, let's do it, and we'll uh, check in in the morning yeah. as we uh, as we get ready for the big day. This is going to be awesome. <laughs> 
In the race the next day, the start was what jumped out to me as being the most unique element. So in the follow-up conversation with Jason, the race director, the start was something that I wanted to know a little bit more of, and I wanted to know how it might have tied to the event at large. So the the start change, uh, well, we've we've always started in the dark. I don't, I guess I don't know always, but for about a decade at least, we've we've started at six a.m. Uh, so it, it starts in the dark, um, and for the for the one fifty race, the seventy five is like basically right at sunset. Uh, so yeah, that one fifty race, they do th- th- it starts in the dark. You're required to have lights. Um, a big reason for that is, is the heat aspect of it. So like an extra hour in the dark without the, the sunshine beating on you is, is massive in the success of the event. Like a lot of people are like, yeah, that first hour is almost free. Like it doesn't feel like it counts cause you're, it's in the dark. Everybody's focusing on just the darkness of it before they're like, oh yeah, I've already ridden like an hour and I'm 15 miles out, you know? So, um, the starting in the dark has been around for a while and it was totally because of just the heat, like get people out in the heat. And it's kind of become this iconic thing. Like it's, it's so special doing that event and you look forward or behind you. If you look behind, you just see hundreds and hundreds of white lights. If you look in front of you, you see just hundreds and hundreds of blinking red lights. So it's, it's really cool. You can just see it for miles. Um, somebody got a really cool drone shot of it this year that I I haven't really seen. It's kind of, hard to see it at night. So that was that the, the, the nighttime start, uh, this year we did have the women start first, the elite women's field start ahead of the men. Um, and this conversation started, man, like a year and a half ago, like, so way before last year's event. And there was a, a group of elite women that got together and they had their own committee and they kind of talked about, what are some issues in gravel cycling right now? What are the good things? What are the bad things? And what, what are some thing, what are some ideas to make some changes? So they did a lot of groundwork on the beginning. And then the really special thing is they invited a lot of us promoters. There was probably a hundred gravel promoters on this call. So it was really, really special. Um, and then like they just told us all, all the feedback and, and to us, it's like, well, we want to be part of the change. Um, we don't want, this to just be like, all right, thanks for your feedback. We'll, we'll see you here, like it or leave it. Um, so a couple things that we wanted, if we make a change, we wanted to keep the experience for everybody else the same. We wanted to um, have something that made, made the women's field at least more even or create an opportunity for equal success for everybody. So our one of the feedback that came from that meeting was, that a lot of times the elite women field, when all just everybody's at the start block together, don't know who, they don't even know who their competitors are. Like if a, a woman has her hair or has short hair or their hair's tucked up into their helmet or the, the, you know, this is their words that they just, they couldn't tell that who was a woman and who was a man in the dark at the start or, you know, lining up in the tire. They just didn't know who their competitors were. So the big idea was like, well, let's have all the women line up together so they can look each other in the eyes. You know who's who. And then let's have them start at the front with a actual barricade between the elite men and the women uh, so that from the go, every single woman relatively will have the same opportunity to catch 
any moves that come beside them. And that, w- that was another big feedback was, you know, if a, if a woman started, you know, at, on the front line and then there was another elite woman that started three rows back, there might be a move that comes by them that they would never have an opportunity to even see. And um, so, yeah, that, w- that was kind of the idea is like every single woman has the same opportunity. Every woman has the opportunity to see uh, all their competitors and it doesn't change the experience for everybody else. So that was kind of the the full thought process behind it. And we're going to have a call here in March with all the, I think, the top 25 women who would have been lined up there and just get their feedback. And we'll, the big thing that we said going into this is like, this might not be permanent. We might make changes. We'll learn from other events. So it's like, we're going to, we're going to be watching Unbound. And I hope other promoters are too and seeing, does this make a difference? Is it, does it make safety better? Is like, how did they handle logistics with getting them out of town safe, safely and all that stuff? So, um, yeah, I'm excited to see what other promoters do on, on making the elite women's field uh, in the race more fun to watch. That's more fair across all women. So, yeah, we're, I, that that's one thing that's great about a young sport is we, we're making changes and we're seeing what other people are doing. And uh, hopefully we continue to make the sport better for, for everyone. <laughs> Dad, where are we? Well, we're in central Pennsylvania. We've, uh, after Logan finished at two in the afternoon uh, mountain time yesterday, we just got in the car and We've been hauling ass east ever since. Uh, just a few hours of sleep, uh, and um, well, Logan's going to make it to college on time, so that's good. But we had a great time at Gravel Worlds, and uh, I think we'll be back there. Yes, we're back in the we're back in the the ridges and the trees of the East Coast. I haven't been here since May. It's been uh, it's been a wild and crazy summer, um, but I'm excited to go back to college, nonetheless. We should probably talk a little bit about the race itself. Yeah, let's do it. Because I think we both had our own experiences and um, really enjoyed the atmosphere. To cut to the chase. Um, yeah, absolutely. The atmosphere was fantastic. It was. It was really. It was. It was surprising to me, honestly. Um, and I had pretty high expectations. On the racing front, it was crazy. It was a extremely difficult race with a lot of different dynamics going on. First off, it started in the dark. Um, like, actually, the dark. Can you confirm that it was dark? Oh, yeah, it was It was pitch dark when you started. It was pitch dark, and we all had lights that were part of the rules that I may or may not have not known until the morning before the race. Not the morning of the race, the morning before the race. Um, so I had my little light on, and we, we were just tearing through the start. Um, for the first 30 minutes, we averaged 23 miles per hour over these hills on this really kind of loose surface. Um, It was surreal. It was just this mix of different feelings and sensations and just chaos everywhere. Um, And then we emerged into dawn and and everything calmed down. Got to mile 30, waved at you, manning the aid station. What was your your game plan for the day again? Uh, It was fantastic. At at mile 33, Bobby and the group from the Mid-South Gravel Race in March were the hosts of the 33-mile uh, aid station. 
uh, where we had an incredible spread of, of food. We had pancakes, grilled cheese sandwiches, um, all kinds of soft drinks, energy products. Uh, and you and the front pack people, you guys didn't even stop there. No, we did. But, um, but, you know, I've learned that gravel racing is a lot like a mullet. <laughs> it's business in the front and party in the back. And uh, after you guys pass through, uh, about a half an hour later, we probably at any given time had 30 to 40 riders at our aid station. They would stop. They would talk to us, get some pancakes, fill up their water bottles. But the aid station was at a beautiful, idyllic farm. Um, that uh, that Russ and Amy run. I don't know their last name, but a beautiful farm, and they're great friends of the race. And for those of you who are going to do gravel worlds in the future, the, the mile 33 is a highlight. So my last question, looking forward, how do you hope to? grow the sport over the next five years in your own little little box um and and for you what would success look like in five years time wow oh man good gracious such good questions um you know i think for us we're we're gonna just continue to try our best to focus on the everyday person. They're the people that have taken care of us. Um, we're excited to have pros and athletes and uh, elite athletes come to Gravel Worlds and be a part of it. And um, we'll, we'll celebrate their amazing human performance that they have. And But we're going to still continue to focus most of our attention on the everyday person who ultimately pays for our event. They're the ones that take valuable vacation um, to, to be a part of Gravel Worlds. Um, and like, hopefully we, we continue to just grow slowly and, and, um, yeah, just continue to be a part of our community. Uh, we're looking at adding a couple smaller events too. Like we, we have the winter endurance in February. We're going to do uh, a gravel camp this year. That's actually affordable. Um, so just continuing to do those things, um, not necessarily for the sake of money, but just the community aspect and, the money part will will follow. I think uh, it. You know, we. I'm I'm very very lucky to get to do this full time, um, and you know it'd be it'd be awesome to get a couple other people doing this full time where we can be creating awesome events and experiences for for people around the world. Um, so yeah, I mean, success to me is going to look like we are making a difference in our community to me. That's, that's the ultimate thing. You know, we've, we've raised tens of thousands of dollars to our local parks foundation. Um, last year we raised over $10,000 to our, our NICA team here in, in Nebraska and the, the grit program girls writing together. Um, so I, to me that that's what success looks like. It's, it's continuing to get to do this and, um, make a difference in our community and, you know, we'll, we'll can, our team will continue to go volunteer at small events and go participate in big and small events and get it go around the world to get to spread this love of gravel. So, um, 
we're not super focused on, well, we need to reach 5,000 people or whatever it is. If we do great, like that, that'd be awesome. You know? So, um, we're also really starting to, to work in the world of gravel running, which isn't really a thing right now. We added an ultra last year and we really think that gravel running could be the next big frontier in running like it was for cycling. So we're doing, I know we're predominantly a cycling event, but we're working with some great um, running sponsors. And, you know, if we can expand that gravel family to more people and bring them into that community, that that's amazing too. So, you know, if we could get 2,500 cyclists and 2,500 runners at gravel worlds, that would be, that'd be super rad. And that'd be a, an awesome a success for us. But yeah, just slow and steady, take care of the gravel family and they're going to take care of us. And we'll just see where we're at in five years, I guess. That car conversation was over six months ago and a lot has changed since then. So I decided to call up my dad and get a little bit more of a idea of how his opinions might have changed about gravel cycling since we drove back from Nebraska. Uh, bicycling has always been a part of our family, and I like to think that probably somehow you kind of found a connection with that through, you know, mom and I having that be a big part of our lives. But of course, then life happens. You have kids, you have jobs, you know, time passes. And, uh, you know, my bike and mom's bike, you know, spent more and more time gathering dust in the garage. Uh, until the, the time came and I knew it was eventually going to come where, where my running career, my long distance running career, which lasted about 30 years, you know, started to come to an end, at least competitively. I, I still hope to be able to run recreationally, but, but I wanted an, uh, an outlet for, um, for that, that sort of competitive side of, of my life. And, and at, at about the same time you were sharing with me, a lot of what gravel cycling is. And thanks to your connections and your relationship with Rodeo Labs, uh, I was able to get a bike. Um, I have a Flanimal 5.0 painted matte black with a beautiful Celeste green trim, um, you know, with a little, a couple of old guy uh, pieces in place on the stem and on the seat post. And, you know, over the last summer, uh, so now six, seven months ago, I started riding it first twice a week, then three times a week. Then, and, 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 the, and the bug of bicycling as something that I enjoy kind of came back a full 30 plus years after, you know, I first straddled my red Bianchi Volpe and, and took it around the world. So living as we do in Arizona, um, there is a group uh, down in Patagonia, Arizona, which is uh, about 70 miles south of Tucson, not far from the Mexican border. Um, Xander and Heidi uh, Sense, who uh, run a operation down there with uh, a house where people come and train and, uh, uh, and, and uh, a, a really good blend of sort of giving people an opportunity to come down there and do their own training camps or do organized training camps that are catered. Uh, Xander is a, is a five-star chef. Uh, so they've, they've created a little wonderful little gravel biking Mecca down there. I, I think at last count, there's about 800 miles of gravel roads down there that range from, you know, really smooth buttery to 
pretty technical, rocky, sandy, almost double track. Well, the the gemstone of Xander and Heidi's project down there is this Spirit World bicycle race, which takes place in the first weekend of November. They have a hundred plus mile race, a fifty plus mile race, and and I went went ahead and signed up for it. I uh, I reached out to them. It was full. I reached out to them. I, I signed up for the fifty seven mile race. I didn't. Maybe I think this year I might do the hundred and twelve mile race. But I signed up for the fifty seven mile race. I went down there the the night before. They do an incredible job, Xander and Heidi. Your entry fee includes a meal and beverages the night before with live music. It includes a, a like a five-course breakfast the morning of, all the coffee you can drink, wonderful aid stations all along the course, fully stocked with both solid food and nutrition products, and then, of course, a kind of a post-race celebratory uh, a, a meal as well. 250 people just enjoying. And if you've not been to Southern Arizona in early November, it is prime time. It's chilly in the morning. It's sunny in 60s in the afternoon. So I did it. I And the Flanimal, of course, performed impeccably. No flats, no crashes. I didn't exactly get around the course fast, but I enjoyed it and uh, and felt the camaraderie of gravel that uh, was really reminiscent of the early years of the camaraderie of Ultra. And I say early years because Ultra has grown in many of the ways that that, that gravel has grown. Uh, but there are still these grassroots mom and pop events that really value uh, that grassroots, that, that culture. And I felt it alive and well at Spirit World and getting to know Xander and Heidi a little bit. I don't think that's going anywhere. Like that is what they believe in. That is what they do their event for. And they're unapologetic about it. So that was my initial exposure to gravel. I look forward to riding a few races here in 2023. You and I might at least be at the starting line together of a few races. You might finish a race, take a nap, a shower, eat three meals, and then come back and see me finish. But but that's, of course, the beauty of gravel is that it's it's for everybody. Uh, I saw that at Gravel Worlds. I saw that at Unbound. And I certainly saw that at Spirit World. So bravo to the gravel community to making sure that, that the community is a capital C community. Yeah. So talking of change, and here here we go. I'm going to shamelessly plug your podcast for you so you don't have to, right? So you have your own podcast, um, Crack a Brew with AJW, and you had on Anton Krupitska. And you had a very interesting conversation, a little bit about ultra running, but also a little bit about moving through space with your bodies, which includes gravel biking. And Tony had something really interesting to say about comparing the world's gravel racing and ultra racing. His point was both of these entities have sort of experienced the similar type of growth. It just seems like cycling did the growth that ultra running took 20 years to do in about five years. Um, As an ultra runner, as someone who's a media personality in the sport, someone who's been competitive, who's been in the middle of the pack, who 
from illness and injury has also been at the back of the pack. How have you felt that that change in ultra running has changed the sport? What were those things that you and Anton saw that are different in that 20 year span that gravel may or may not have undergone in that five year span that he referenced? Yeah, I, I appreciated that, that part of our conversation with Tony. I mean, and, and of course he, he drew the parallel of like unbound is the UTMB of gravel. Right. And for, for those of you listening to the podcast who don't know what UTMB is, it's pretty much the largest, most competitive ultra marathon week in the world. It takes place in Chamonix at the end of August. And, you know, it's very corporate. It's it's co-owned with Iron Man. And there's a lot about it that is that runs counter to a lot of the, what people might have considered the traditional values of ultra running. I would say this, Logan, and and this is um, this is pretty weighty. I think the guardians of the culture, the guardians of the culture in both sports, in ultra trail, trail and ultra running, and gravel cycling, are the race directors. I think the decisions the race directors that's why people come to people come to the sport because they want to do races. Sure, there are people who just run on the mountains every weekend and never sign up for a race. There are people who ride their bikes on gravel roads and never sign up for a race. But eventually people want to sign up for a race, they want to be a part of the community, they want to enter into it, they want to the guardians of the culture are the people putting on those races. They have a tremendous a tremendous amount of, and I'm going to use this word quite literally, they have a tremendous amount of power to do or not do what the culture needs. I'm going to give you an example from ultra running, which is a, a, a really timely one. There's a race up in the high mountains of Colorado called the High Lonesome 100 Miler. They for for the last seven years they have been the most progressive hundred mile ultra in the country. They have a fifty fifty lottery for men and women. They have were one of the first races to have a non binary and transgender category. They offer scholarships and discounts if you can prove that you can't necessarily afford the race entry fee. Uh, they have an incredible uh, give back program where they're uh, for volunteers for a certain number of years and they can get carbon offset credits and, and various other environmental components. They're an extremely progressive race. They Their values are like they wear them on their sleeves. And that race then attracts a certain number of people who buy into those values. And I think the more, and I'm not, and, that, and that's on the extreme, right? One of my best friends in the world is Craig Thornley, the race director of Western States 100. They too have a non-binary policy. They too have a transgender policy. They also have a lottery in which, you know, you have a 2% chance of getting in. They could charge $5,000 to get in that race if they wanted to, but they don't. It's not about the money. It's not about corporate, you know, establishment. And so- I think, you know, for, for someone like me who's been around ultra running for, you know, 30 years and gravel racing for seven months, the parallel is uncanny. And the decisions the race directors make, the way in which they relate to one another, the way in which I was so impressed with 
gravel worlds and their focus on inclusivity, their focus on celebrating every finisher, regardless of the front, middle, back of the pack, celebrating at the starting line the number of women that were in that race as an increase on the number of women that were in the race the previous year. You put your money where your mouth is like that, and it's going to be a needle mover in the sport. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is what this whole conversation is about. This is what this whole mini series is about, is understanding what goes into this production that we call gravel racing. And I did my best in this conver- in these conversations with the 17 race directors I ended up co- talking to, who range from a lifelong race director to a part-time race director in Rebecca Rush, who has also been a legend in the community as an athlete, right? You have all of these different voices and all of these different interests and backgrounds. And they each are trying to do something similar, but ultimately unique, because that's what it's all about. That's the balance of endurance racing. And I think where, and I don't want this to sound like too much of a value judgment, but where we get to questioning what the state is of something i think state of ultra running or state of gravel racing is when there's corporate or venture capitalist or other sort of economic interests that seem to outweigh the interest of the individuals and i don't know that that's happening in gravel racing what i'm trying to figure out is where the direction what direction these races are going at every level and what that spirit is, I know spirit overused in gravel, but th- this is something that that I feel is pertinent in this issue. And the race directors in these conversations is where I think we can parse through and hopefully get an answer to that. Who are the people that are leading the ship? And what does the trade-off look like between those corporate interests that are real, that make sense because this is a marketable thing, and the passion that created it? And that's the balance, right? And that's what I'm hoping that through these conversations, we can get a hold of, if possible. Before we go, I just wanted to say that you seem to be a little more critical than I was look, listening back to the recording of the bigger races in the gravel calendar. Um, I'll be the first to say that I love Unbound. I've had a great experience at Unbound. I would want to do a BWR. I'd want to do an SBT. But you had some reservations about some aspects of Unbound. Has that opinion changed over the months that you've been involved? So thanks thanks for asking that. I, I loved my experience at Unbound, and it felt quite reminiscent of my m- many years, over two and a half decades experiences at Western States. My, my one problem with Unbound is that the elite got preferential treatment. Um, Because Unbound allows crew to, I think, access the riders at at least two places and possibly three, and gives those crews priority placement in those areas, they provide a, a a complete unfair advantage to those elites. Uh, not to mention that those elites come in with three sprinter vans, pressure washers, five mechanics, six bike racks, and extra bikes. When I saw the specialized, sorry to drop a name, when I saw the specialized 
van filled with bikes, I was like, wait, don't you have to start and finish the race with the same bike? Like, why is there a van here filled with bikes? That just struck me as complete, like complete paradox. You know, if I was a, if I was a race director of a, of a gravel race and, and I saw that happening, like there's people with pressure washers and there's people with squirt guns to get the mud off. I'd be like, no cruise, no cruise. Everybody rides the same 200 miles. Everybody rides it at the same. Now you, you might, someone, someone out there might turn around and be like, well, AJW, I mean, you have crews at Western States and they have all this fancy stuff. Yeah. But nobody gets to park in the special place. Nobody gets to, they can only have one car. Like everyone is treated the same. You know, when I got to that one aid station at about mile 130, I mean, it was very clear where all the fast guys were going to go, you know, not to mention the fact as soon as the vans pulled away, there was a bunch of trash on the ground and puddles and all the stuff that they, that these crews just left because they were in a rush to go to the next place. So if there's one problem I have with gravel and there's one problem I have with these big races of, that are bringing in these elites, and you talked about the spirit of gravel, I don't think that's in the spirit of gravel. I mean, you saw three races with three different perceptions of what it means to be elite. At Spirit World, there was a very limited number of starting spots and there were a limited number of riders who were what would be considered professional in the scheme of gravel. At Gravel World, you had a fair number of professional riders, but you had no support. Nobody had crews out there. And then at Unbound, you have all of the professionals with all of the support in these condensed areas. And in my opinion, and, and Andy, correct me if I'm wrong, in your opinion, we're at a flex point. We're at a place where we can have these conversations and we can look at the di different directions that gravel cycling might go. I, I, I would, if I could just jump in, I think you have to have those conversations. And so just the outline you presented there, it's not us against them. And there's enough us against them in the world, right? This is a community. Everybody loves bikes. Everybody loves getting off the road. Everybody loves getting out into the wilderness. Like, let's not forget that. We can all manage that. But the most important thing is to keep talking. At the end of the day, you may have different interpretations of what the spirit of gravel is. I mean, Lord knows you guys have already had debates about, you know, um, handlebars and, and, you know, packs versus water bottles. And, you know, so those are going to continue. Uh, but I think if you don't have those conversations, you're not going to get anywhere. This has been episode one of the Race Director Roundup mini-series. Thank you, Jason from Gravel Worlds, for agreeing to sit down and have a chat. Thank you to Andy Jones-Wilkins from I Run Far and Trail Runner Nation for allowing me to stick this recorder in your face and call you up on Zoom. Thank you for editorial assistance from Steve the Intern Transition tunes from Drew and our theme song from Q 
as always. This has been the Rodeo Labs Podcast.